got a t-shirt with bloodstains all over it, maybe laundry isn't your biggest problem right now. <laughs> I remember the day the candle shop burned down. Everybody just stood around and sang happy birthday. And a security guard came over and said, you're gonna have to move, you're blocking the fire exit. As though if there was a fire, I wasn't gonna run. <laughs> You make love to the right woman. Johnny is beautiful, beautiful. I mean, the last time I made love to my wife, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Nothing was happening. I looked her, I saw it's the matter. Can't you think of anyone either? <laughs> I never learn, you know? Like a waitress will bring my meal. Hey, enjoy your meal, you too! But you don't have one, do you? I'm a doofus! If you do eat, enjoy when you eat it. If you have a break or something later, if you get an opportunity, that's all I'm trying to say. That's all that I'm driving at, really. Hello, welcome to Comedy Think Tanked, a podcast with Leonard Kimball and Nick Gordon, two comedians who know how to take a drink and have a thought. Sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy. Now, whether they're ready or not, here's your hosts, Leonard and Nick. Hello, and welcome to Comedy Think Tanked. Uh, I'm here, Nick Gordon, and uh, my good friend Leonard Kimball is over there. Hello, Nick. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing? Good. 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 Fantastic. Fantastic. Here we are, uh, however, uh, the day after um, the passing of Norm MacDonald, and even though we didn't know him personally, uh, he is a fellow stand-up comedian, and it is a a loss to the stand-up community comedy community and uh it seems almost fitting that it happened in a for us to have this as an intro to billy jack goodwin's uh episode because he was so he's such a happy person he like and, 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 <laughs> right. and no, nothing seems to bother him and um so we're gonna go from the sadness of of mentioning someone's you know a comedian's death to uh, an episode where billy jack is talking about um how wonderful life is yeah how <laughs> how positive life is how, how how much he can he wants to make people's lives around his better yeah you know, from yeah. his actions yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting juxtaposition i think that's the first time we've said that word on the podcast <laughs> that's a good one that should probably get us some uh some listeners like uh, look at how intelligent these guys are they yeah they use a uh uh, what'd you say, Teddy Ruxpin position? <laughs> Sorry. Juxt- juxtaposition. I think. Oh, is just yeah. a position? Ju- okay. ju- it's just a position. That's all. Okay. We- Sorry, so. I, I dropped out of college. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. You so, were, what do you remember about Norm McDonald? Well, you know, the the I, last night I watched a bunch of stuff uh, of his, some stand up stuff, some interviews he did. You know, Leno and Cart, you know, Johnny Carson, whatever um letterman and some stand-up stuff and some stuff from when he was on weekend update in snl and yeah just different things like that just and, and it, it did all the things that people have said about him being a stand-up stand-up and uh you know being a pure comic and a great joke writer and and all those sort of things like i was like oh that's right wow look at that like so true it, you know it's absolutely true 
the um, the last special from Netflix at least. The last special that was on was from 2017, and, and I watched I watched I watched through that and stuff, and I was like, "Yep, this this guy was he was good. He was really good. It would have been neat to to have met him." And fuck, dying at 61. So he must have know. been sick during that special then. Yeah, I would say, and you know, all the the, the newspapers and whatnot say that he you know he battled cancer privately and for yeah. the last nine years and so he he kept chugging along in the stand-up community and, and doing stuff and you know creating um content and laughs and all that stuff and 61's too young that's that's for damn sure yes yeah, <laughs> sure. we're in our 40s uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, I, I loved how he had that great pause after punch lines and, and people can just groan and then you know half the audience is groaning half the audience is just laughing their ass off and it's like all oh, that that to be able to just to do that it's just magical yeah, yeah. He, he he talked about his style and and he, he was with mark maron uh mark maron sent uh or um fuck what's what's the word here i'm looking for he had a 2011 um podcast with mark maron oh wgs so mark put it out again yesterday Oh yeah, I saw that. Okay. And so I listened to that too, and he talked about his style and his voice and how it actually kept him from getting jobs early on. And, and when he first, you know, left Canada and came to LA and and um, you know found out that everyone there was beautiful and smart and all this stuff, and he's just, just <laughs> like he's just like the stand-up guy, like he's just a stand-up comedian uh, <laughs> from Canada. But his joke writing was just so so well well done and, and and his style was so you know like, i don't know once in a generational maybe i'm not sure how to how to categorize it but he uh, he made a name for himself and and uh especially amongst the comedians and such so he had an interesting life um and uh you know for anyone else who's out there who's interested there's a lot of good stuff a lot of good interviews a lot of good content for him yeah. to uh to go check it out and you know, we live the magic that was Norm Macdonald. So right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So without uh without too much more sadness in the world. <laughs> Let's talk about Billy Jack for a second before yeah. we bring him in. Yeah, uh, he, uh Billy Jack was super positive, super happy guy, and uh he just he doesn't let you know shit out there bring him down. He's like, I, I don't I don't have time for that. And like I don't <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't need to deal with with that negativity. I'm, you know, putting, I'm putting love out there, man. Yeah, and and that's something it's something to aspire to because you know he 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 had a he had a rough upbringing and it wasn't all you know flowers and sunshine, and uh, he's making the best of it now. And yeah. and I I I love what we're doing here because we get to we get to meet these people. We know these people, you know, over the course of the last few years, just in the in the context of being at a at a comedy show. But now we actually get to talk to them and, and they let their guard down in Christ almost immediately. Yeah, this is this is probably one of the one of the, the best interviews we've done where we got some really in-depth insight into someone's life and their their philosophy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. I was happy to hear about it. So yeah. But uh yeah, so let's kick let's kick it over to Billy Jack. Let's get right to it. All Thanks right. everyone for listening. Thank you. All right, welcome to Comedy Think Tanked. Uh, I am Nick Gordon, Leonard Kimball, and we're here with Billy Jack Goodwin. Hello, hello, Billy Jack. How you boys doing? Finest. <laughs> <laughs> 
here to here to talk about comedy. Yes. What's going on? Yes. I'm very happy to be here with you guys tonight. I, any excuse to come to like Lewis and Auburn, I like it makes me super happy. Like the smell, like everything about it. Like my my roots and run very deep in like Lewiston. So like four generations of women in my family all like worked their fingers to the bone at the Bates Mill. Nice. Um, they were all prostitutes. <laughs> so like my family's hand jobs literally helped build this uh, the city. So Sorry. very proud to be back here today. Sorry, Mama Goodwin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, love it love it so you're not living in lewiston right now no i live in falmouth live in falmouth, yeah, falmouth. Ooh, moving nice. on up yeah, that's right oh, part excellent. of my journey man we'll talk about that excellent from that. well yeah on, let's man. dive right into it let's let's talk about like the first time you did comedy because we've seen you here like just destroy during you know competitions and anytime you do a set we've seen you like just murder the room and well thank you well, appreciate we, but that. where did that all start yeah um I had a father who was a wonderful bullshitter. Like, uh, I was raised by wonderful people. That's my first blessing in my life. Like, I think I came into this world raised by wonderful people, not perfect people. Yeah. Suffer from their, you know, own addictions, work addictions and alcoholism and stuff. But they were wonderful people who were like, had great character. Yeah. And my father was a man, like, born in Lewiston, like, in the 50s, just like, he was... My father made his money cleaning toilets of Rich Bates kids. He was oh, a janitor man. for years, but yeah. he was like a poet. He was just an amazing man, but he was a master bullshitter. Like he could sit in a room with his friends and this is before the internet or anything like that. And back in the day where you could be a bullshitter and like, say you're sitting around a room with your guys and a song comes on the radio and everyone's like, who sings this song? Who, where is this song from? Like my father was kind of man that without even a click would be like, oh, that's Jimmy and the Razor Blades. Even though that's bullshit, but he would say it with so like much gusto and confidence that everyone would be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that yeah. must be." I think I saw them back in uh, '42. <laughs> you know, but now if someone did that, they, someone would be on their phone being like, "Oh no, that was uh, uh, no. you know." So it's like heart, it's, you know, or something. It's of like shit your like father that. was Wikipedia before Wikipedia came. He out. was a bullshitter. Yeah. He was just a storyteller <laughs> and a bullshitter. And my comedy comes from a long line of Lewiston bullshitter, mill worker, blue collar kind of shit who kind of like talk about the traumas of their life but in a funny way and um that's kind of what my way into comedy and how i what i use when i'm on the stage and that's how nice. i get my material as far as doing comedy for the first time um i love comedy and i love doing comedy i love performing but once again it's not even in the top five of the passions in my life yeah. uh, it's part of a bigger goal in my life to become a better human being and comedy is a way to test my ego and myself. And we can talk about these kind of things afterwards. But as far yeah. as comedy and first time going um, and doing it like on stage, yeah. I, uh, years ago, um, I had a buddy who lived in downtown Portland. He had a next door neighbor, a female um, who we liked, Sarah. And she had a new boyfriend, this guy named Ian. And one day I'm hanging out with him and we're smoking a joint. And uh, I say, what do you do, dude? And he's like, oh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And it was just like, it was one of those weird things. Yeah. Like, what? You're a stand-up yeah. comedian? Yeah. And he, yeah, he goes, I got paid to go and tell jokes. And I was like, wow, you can do that shit? <laughs> so I decided to, and I already had kind of like a set in my mind of what I could go and talk about. And uh, I went to an open mic. We're at uh, first Friday art walk with some friends. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend, Amy, who said, dude, there's an open mic at Brian Baru's. Yeah. Um, you should go and uh, check that out. So we went over, and it's it's so funny now. I think about the cast of characters that I know now yeah. through all these years of comedy, and I could see them. I can close my eyes. I could see them there, and I they didn't know there. them at the time, those yeah. comics. And it was so like, I saw these other comics. I saw them do their jokes. I realized in my mind, 
I was like, oh shit, I think I can do that. <laughs> but the coolest part was that Brian Baruz, there was two comedians, uh, uh, Kat Godding and Owen, can't remember his last name. He went off to like Hollywood to become a stuntman or something. But I want to say Kane. Owen Kane. Yeah. And they were underage. Oh. Yep. And so fucking rock and roll, dude. They like we lowered the microphone out the window of Brian ah. Baruz because they were too young, and they they, uh. they they did their sets in the parking lot. And <laughs> really? I remember like going, and I was like, you know, I'm mid thirties, I'm married, like my life is completely different. Like I have no delusions, grandeur in comedy, right. but something about that rock and roll moment when I'm seeing these kids just like they're young and they're telling their dick jokes out in the parking lot, <laughs> it was like crazy inspiring to me. And I'm like, I want to have a little piece of this. Yeah. Um, and that kind of started me on my journey. So nice, cool. Yeah. I remember hearing that story actually. Uh, yeah, about the, about the lowering of the microphone oh, really? to the underagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't there, but uh, I remember hearing about that. And uh, you ever uh, see Cat Godding now, man? She kills it. She's a fucking great comic. Yeah, so she, 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 she moved know, to Boston, she went to Boston right? and kind of yeah. you know got her cut her teeth and just. I love the the. I'm assuming she's 21 by now. She's still, yeah, I don't know how old Cat is now, but a great comedian. Yeah. I love the I love I love doing comedy, but. I'm a people person and I love the people I met along the journey and seeing their progress in comedy because they're more passionate than me. To me, like I had two goals when I got into comedy. It really was to get free drinks <laughs> and to like be a little bit of a Portland celebrity. We're talking about like Tim Sample earlier or yeah. Spose, like something about like going to like down to Portland, people are like, oh my God, I saw you. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. you do a show. Are you hey, Billy yeah. Jack? Like yeah. that shit is oh, intoxicating. Yeah, it's <laughs> my ego. It's not yeah. healthy for my ego, but it's intoxicating and I like that shit. So the first I, couple times it happens, you're sitting there going like, how the hell do oh you know my God. Who I Yeah, I know. Oh, that's right. I do comedy. Right. <laughs> I've, I've gotten that a couple of times here in Auburn and like someone said that they, they know who I am. I'm like, oh, I'm like, really? Like, oh, oh, for my nice, little that's silly nice. five minutes I do on stage. Yes. Like, oh, and man. then you worry about, oh shit, what show was it? Was it a good show? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which set? Did I do yeah, exactly. that time? Did I get yeah. any laughs? And then you really you get down on yourself, and that's hard. Yeah, yeah. That's hard. <laughs> don't don't hold that against you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so, like, let's go back though. Like, you grew up here in Lewiston, and uh, you know, you talk about your father being being the ultimate bullshitter. Yeah. Uh, did, was it like age? One through eighteen here in Lewiston, or like yeah, I grew up in Lewiston. Like yeah. I'm like you know when I we talk, I people shit on Lewiston all the time. I'm gonna let me give like let's, two no, minutes. Let's, let me let's, let me tell you some positive stuff veil, about exactly. Lewiston. Let me lift yeah. the veil in Lewiston. Yeah. I right. think it's a wonderful fucking place to grow up. I think Maine in general is a wonderful place Absolutely. to grow up. No matter what, there is poverty, there is sadness, there is racism, there's everything that's in every town in the world. Right. Uh, the one thing about Lewiston. I will say there was a time where I came of age in the late 90s and early 2000s where Lewiston was the most interesting little town, city in the entire world mm -hmm. because you got three different populations living in the city. You had the old kind of descendants of immigrant mill workers like me and yep. the people I grew up, white Franco-American kids. You had children of super elites, wealthy, going to Bates College who would come in every year. So yep. like if you, your daddy is a tight of industry – and you ain't smart enough to get to Harvard, you go to Bates you College. To, yeah, but yeah. there's so much money in that. Mm -hmm. okay. And then in the late 90s, they brought in this Somalian population into this town. Like, as immigrant as immigrant can get. Like, from <laughs> you're putting in a whole group of people with a completely different way of life. Oh, yeah. And they all mixed. And I remember, and if you grew up in this town, you, people think this town was going to explode. Mm -hmm. But it didn't. And as years gone by, it's been 20 years now. Yeah. And, like, Lewiston's handled it. And they've actually kind of 
flourished. And during like the BLM stuff last summer, when you see other towns that have huge Somalian populations like Minneapolis, where there's riots and yeah. fires and shit, yeah. Lewiston held their shit together. Yeah. Like they really did. Like they, people in that town kind of all learned how to live together and it's not perfect, um, but it's a beautiful place. And if I had to raise a kid and stuff like that, I would have no issue raising Lewis and Auburn. And I think it's a wonderful place, multicultural. It's a... There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of stabbings and fires. I'm not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I had to run from a burning apartment building because some old lady had a Paul Mall that went tip the lip when she was sleeping, and I would have like $7. <laughs> Still, that's but, a lot of fire. Uh, that's that's a lot of fire. You know, if you don't get stabbed in fire, man, if you can survive the, right. survive it, you'll be a better person for it. But so. Like you say, every place has has their... Has yeah, about but Lewiston just so interesting. And it's the reason why, I mean, I have never been to a comedy show where I haven't had one comic at least make some kind of Lewiston joke. Because, But, you know, if you're growing up in it and living in it, it was a beautiful place to grow up in. I, I think and, Maine is a great yeah. place. And uh, sorry, Leonard, I know you didn't grow up here, but um, Maine in general is a great place to raise kids, which I'm glad yeah. you're raising your kids here. And, yeah, we are having a good time. Um, it is, it's a great place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. It's, yeah, it's a good place. So, including Lewiston. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Portland and it was like, oh, who can we make fun of? Yeah. Can't make fun of Falmouth. No, uh, no, 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 no. Because they got the money. They'll sue you. I mean, but I, the, yeah. <laughs> believe me, it's so funny. Like, I'll wax poetic about Lewiston, but believe me, I was happy when I got the fuck out. <laughs> now, so, you know, it's one of those things, you know. It's like a, like dating a, a beautiful woman when you're younger and having that relationship. You know, as years go on, the truth is that relationship was probably, like, horrible and you right. hated parts of it. But as years go on, you go, oh, my God, wasn't that a beautiful fucking woman? Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> so uh, but that's what I think about Lewiston. When I drive through, I get very nostalgic. <laughs> that's funny uh so so your first comedy experience was an open mic but did you were you that kid that like watched comedy central no. watch no i don't know you can name i wouldn't name i couldn't name five comedians no other shit. than the people who have like, done it. it's really once again it's not my passion in my life it is um and i don't want i want to say this and not uh, sound too spacey as i kind of talk about my philosophies of life uh -huh. um but I believe in um, the Ubermensch philosophy. I don't know if you ever heard of this. No. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, <laughs> So my goal in my life, oh, let, me, let me start over. Let me start from the beginning. All right, cool. For the last 25 years of my life, my passion in life is working. I work in the trenches of depression and anxiety. Uh, it's what I've done. It's my calling in life. I've done it since I was 17 years old. Um, I was born into the nonprofit field. And when, when I give advice or if I'm going to say anything in this podcast, um, it comes from a place of love and understanding. And I'm a happy person. And if, I'm sure every time you guys have ever met me, oh my like God, you walk yeah. away going, oh shit, BJ is happy as he fuck. He's right. smiling. Why is he so high? Uh, I, 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 well, I plays part of it too. But if you ask me right now yeah. and you go, hey, how you doing, Bill Jack? I'll be like, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. If we rewound the clock five, ten years ago, and you said, "Hey, Bill Jack, how you doing?" I'm, I would say, "Hey, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life." If you rewound the clock twenty years and we had this conversation, <laughs> I would say, "I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life because I'm in a constant pursuit of being a better person and a better man." I believe in that shit. Uh -huh. So, and it sounds corny when you say it, but I think everyone sh kind of sh should be focusing on that. So, as far living every day like it's your last, that sort of thing, or or is it more about just well, this goes about the anxiety and depression. Okay. So being a happy person, it's very strange now because I, I and I'll say this, I'm a tremendously happy person. I'm very content spiritually, socially, 
emotionally, financially. I'm like, I'm doing very, I'm doing very well. I'm very happy. Mm -hmm. But in this world, everyone's very depressed. So it's like the first time in my life I've been the rebel because like <laughs> I'm happy and everyone else is very, because there's so much existential threat out there. So the field I work with in anxiety, depression, um, I kind of like, I work with clients um, over 25 years. I've worked with every color, every creed, 14 different countries um, with diagnosis of brain injury, autism, sexual abuse, trauma. Uh, I work with children, adults. Um, I fell into this work when I was a young man. My mom ran a nonprofit for women who um, unwed teenage mothers. Oh. So I kind of was kind of born into this work. I didn't know if I wanted to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. But at 18 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life in general. And I was not someone who would go off to college. I was a blue collar Lewiston kid. You're not like, going to Bates. I wasn't going to Bates, dude. Yep. Like literally, I was in like seventh grade where I realized that I was in special ed for the last 10 years. Like that's, I was not, I am not a scholar. I can barely read math. Like I am, this is not my skill set. My skill set is my personality, my smile, my spirit, my energy. And uh, my teenage years were rough because I fought against all this shit, you know? Like, it's hard when you're a big, bright redhead. You know, you want to be tough, you want to be cool and shit. But this, I fought against that personality and it caused depression and anxiety. And I had a really tough um, teenage years. I was yeah. like 300 some pounds. I, I did not enjoy my, my high school years. Um, by the time I'm 18 years old, like, I'm not fucking homeless. Like, I'm not going to school. My parents aren't going to, my dad was old school. Like, when you turn 18, like, yeah. you're gone, dude. Yeah. I was working out like... Uh, uh, grocery store in Hannaford and uh, no Hannaford uh, Shaw it's even fucking worse <laughs> uh, in downtown Lewiston and I was pretty much homeless and uh, there was a, a wonderful man named Bob Rowe who was an executive director of a program called New Beginnings which is a place for homeless oh, kids yeah and uh, I don't want to fucking cry or anything like that but like Bob picked me out he saw something in me yeah. even at 18 years old as like an 18 year old drug addict fucking homeless kid he like saw something in me he supported me, helped me get my first apartment. Um, and really just like meeting him. Within that next year, I was had a girlfriend for the first time, yeah. had an apartment, yeah. um, was on the board of directors of a national you know, homeless teen program, and I was running the largest drop-in wow. center um, in, the, in New England. Oh, shit. Um, within the first year dude, of my That's life. That's crazy. And you're 19 uh, years old. I'm 19 point. years yeah. old. And, like, and I'm just trying to figure this shit out too. But yeah. then like, I realized... Like, and he was wonderful. And I, I'm a huge believer in mentorship. Mm -hmm. I do this, in my comedy stuff. If I ever see you the other day, when I saw you killed with that set, yeah. the I made a point to come up to you and go, Hey dude, like that set was fucking killer, dude. And I know like you, I don't know what the fuck you think about me, but I'm hoping you leave that going, <laughs> hey man, that was a nice compliment from Billy Jack. I, absolutely. You know? I was I was actually standing there stunned. Yeah. Uh, I was well, like, I just can't believe someone actually came up to me and noticed noticed the, what I did, listened to what I did, and then made the point of coming up after after the uh, you know, the open mic was over yeah. and making the uh, point to say that to me. And it's like I just stood there stunned. I was like, this doesn't happen. And what a simple uh, act, dude. dude and I'm not saying I'm not yeah. saying that to stroke your ego. No, I'm not no. looking for you to buy me a drink. Yeah. I know that I it's my role in my life if you killed it brother i'm gonna come up and tell you that and i know that has ramifications you're gonna walk away going feeling better about yourself yeah, going oh sure. shit. you're going into that tournament yeah and now you think oh my fuck it, i'm gonna kill that shit yep. and if that <laughs> even knocks you up two pegs when you do that tournament because you get that confidence right that's something that i'm putting into the universe that's beautiful that's Absolutely. just me being kind and going to you going hey dude and telling you the truth you did a great job i appreciate yeah. it yeah that's one of the things i like about our doing our open mic so like i like going to the 
new comedians and saying like, hey, that joke you did there, that was really good. Oh, yeah. Keep, yeah. keep, keep, keep working on that. That You really had something there. That's awesome. It's the best part of becoming, I think, yeah. of being a veteran. And like I said, yeah. my goal, I had no delusions of grandeur in comedy. We can talk about that in a second. Let me finish uh-huh. with Bob here. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I didn't have any direction in my life of what I wanted to do. I was fucking 300 pounds. I was almost homeless. He gave me a direction and something to do. I joined a program called AmeriCorps. I don't know, it's like the Domestic Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. It was a Bill Clinton program. It was a wonderful program. It got dismantled when the war started. Um, but it really gave me, once again, it gave me a foothold in life. And Bob was so cool, man. Bob was a man. He gave me my first kayak paddle, which is a passion of mine. I love kayaking. He gave me that. Um, he introduced me to uh, Alan Watts and Carl Jung and these kind of philosophers that, you know, he's kind of a hippie. So these, these they didn't really speak to me at the time. Yeah. Um, but he gave me a book on Nietzsche. And for some reason, I could barely read. But that those teachings are, are so powerful. And I carry that shit with me today. So when people say Nietzsche, the first thing they do is they think about nihilism. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys are familiar with Nietzsche. Um, and it's it was very popular in the 90s. Nietzsche was a philosopher in the 1800s. Um, and we say nihilism, people talk about like... Um, it's not believing in God or not believing that my life is worth anything, which is a misinterpretation of his philosophy. Pretty much Nietzsche was uh, believed that in the time coming, which is the time we live in now, that people aren't going to care about God and Jesus and stuff anymore because we have so much stuff to think about. Now we have computers and life and, you know, existential threats. Too much stuff. Okay. So if you don't, and men or people before that, their character and the karma and how they would live their life would be an homage to God or Jesus. And they would live clean, healthy lives, supporting the people around them because they're paying homage to God or Jesus. Okay. We live in a world now where that doesn't happen because right. people are very, have other things to worry about and we don't have the same power to that shit. So the Ubermach or the Uberman is a Nietzsche philosophy where you are your own God. And it's about, it's called future man. So, when I am 18 years old, I wanted to, if I was 18 years old and I said, man, I'm going to be at 44, which I am now, I would never have believed you. I, I was homeless. Yeah. And I'm looking at my life now. I'm strong. I'm handsome. I, I, I have a beautiful wife. I, I have a beautiful job, a career. Yeah. If, I, if you would have told me that 18 years old, that yeah. that would be my life, I would never would have believed you. But every day I've taken steps to become that man. And the Uberman or the... Um, is about setting a goal of I want to be, by the time I die or by the time I leave this world, I want to be the best man I can be. I'm never going to reach that goal of being the, of the best or being a Superman or Ubermach. I will never reach that. But every day I work towards that. And that's by spreading positivity, love, um, trying to help people through the course of life. Um, in that way, following that philosophy in my life, um, I'm a better man. I'm healthier. I'm a better lover to my wife. I'm a better worker. I'm a better comedian. Um, and when I do comedy, I have no delusions of grandeur. I never went to comedy going, I want to be on Saturday Night Live and I want to be in Hollywood. It never was about that. It was about testing my ego. Yeah. It was about starting something that I had no experience in. And within six years, I'm a grizzled veteran. Like you're literally having me on this podcast because <laughs> I did six years and you see me kill it and use my yeah. skills and talents. Yeah. I would have assumed yeah. 16 years, you know? Yeah, <laughs> because that I put my effort and time into it. I'm getting something out of it. I'm not going comedy to stroke my ego i'm doing that to test myself to better myself to expand the people around me to meet new people to get new experiences and then i bring that back to my life and i take a little bit of leonard take a little bit of you i add that to myself and i create the journey of becoming a better man so you steal our jokes 
<laughs> I don't steal your jokes, but I'll steal. I could steal your temperament. Right. You know, I could steal your your willingness. Like I love your act because I always talk about you. Your your cadence, your look, and your comedy all match. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I and I I try to shoot for that when I go and do my stage. But I respect that in you. I'm gonna steal that mindset from you. I'll steal your confidence or your coolness, whatever that is. Not steal it, but I'm going to take yeah, yeah, that because yeah. you absorb world, it. You absorb I it. absorb it. Yeah. yeah. And I carry that shit on. Just like if I'm around people who I just don't like, mm-hmm. or people are just hateful, or people who are just like, who can't deal with the existential threats that are happening. Yeah. Those are the people who were like, last week they were writing horrible Facebook things about Afghanistan, and this week they're writing horrible Facebook things about like Texas and shit. Right. Those are people who do understand that the world is going to continue. Throwing that negative shit in the world doesn't change anything. What changes is having conversations individually working on yourself. The man in the mirror philosophy, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, it's it's crazy because he molested children. But the idea of (laughs) if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself, make the change. I'm I'm a huge believer in that shit. And you got to test yourself and work at stuff. So. Right. Did that make any sense? Is that no, that's absolutely total gibberish. No, no that's total correct. gibberish, but it's fascinating gibberish. Well, <laughs> I, no, I like it. How do you, but how do you deflect? How do you deflect those those moments where someone you know where, where something negative is coming into your life? What's your so you got to remember? <clears throat> so twenty five years I've been in the trenches of the civil yeah. rights movement of working with people who are in deep, deep, deep depression, mm-hmm. and that's no different from most of the people I meet in the regular world. People are suffering depression, anxiety, so I have to get. I have to get people out of their fucking holes and shit like that. I'll give you like the worst example of something that I, that I have to do and a problem in my life that I had to solve. Mm-hmm. So I used to run homes in Lewiston for what you would call orphans. Really, as mommy and daddy have severe drug addictions, um, maybe I was touched appropriately. The state takes me in. I'm running a home with like five children. My job, I had to give these children some kind of fucking love yeah. and stability. The same stuff that your parents would give you or that your parents would give you. These kids have nothing. Nothing. So my goal as a 25-year-old, 26-year-old at the time, I had to build structures and love. So when these people become adults, they can look back at their childhood and go, oh my God, BJ was such a one. This red, big redhead, probably won't remember <laughs> my name. This big redhead, at least at this point in my life, gave me love and tenderness and care. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I would have times where they would bring me a client wonderful eight-year-old kid who severely molested three other boys or children like and i everything in my mind tells me like i should not like this kid this kid's fucking evil look what he fucking did but if i don't give unconditional love support care help this fucking child that eight-year-old turns into a 30-year-old that may be doing horrible shit in the world he is 30 years old now i'm this was 20 some years ago Uh that kid that i sent he is 30 years old i don't know what he's doing in the world Mm -hmm. all i know is that the small period of time I had with him, I was giving him as much love and care as possible. Now, that's worst case scenario, but that goes to everything. How many people do you meet in a day that you may just be frustrated with or just flipping or say something fucking rude? And once again, that has effects. Just like saying something kind, like I went to you that day, that has positive effects on you. So when you go through life, it's just something to remember. And the more you put out there, the easier it gets. That's, um, that's great, man. But sometimes it's hard to reflect or, or to reflect. I'll give you another example. The sh- shit that gets me. S- stuff I try to, this is a very simple one. Facebook and social media, it's very difficult. That's a hard thing for people right now with mm-hmm. anxiety and depression and anger. Yep. So if you wake up in the morning and you send out some fucking tweet that has no positive ending. So I saw a comedian friend of mine, 
who I like, but he just has a bad habit of sending out these tweets saying, happy, happy fall, unless you're an unvaccinated, then fuck you. You know, it's like, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? Like, what is this sending out to the fucking universe? Like, do you think that you're going to send that out there and the person who's unvaccinated is going to read this and go, oh my oh, God. Yeah, you got me now. You, you, uh, I got this. <laughs> so it's not, he, you're not sending it out there to help anybody. You're sending it out there to salt, to fix your ego of hate. So it's you, and you get the little likes from your other loser comics who are, or, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> people who just like are buying into that yeah. negative set. Instead of, you know, I work in the civil rights movement of helping people with disabilities. If I went on Facebook every day and said, if you don't like people in wheelchairs, you can suck a dick. <laughs> no one would, like, like we uh, would do nothing. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you gotta, like, you gotta be supportive and kind. That's how you dead. make positive change. <laughs> yeah. People go, like, oh, well, how's this going to help my life, Billy Jack? Help me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So the big thing is that to help you mm-hmm. is when someone posts something like that, I don't defriend anybody. I think that's so fucking dumb. Then you're just speaking into vacuums. Right. So I have to I have to take the moment to read that and not respond because no matter what I respond to this, like it doesn't mean that it means nothing. It means no. nothing. And it's going to take my t- it takes my precious energy and time away from me. Um, I tell everybody this all the time. If you get caught up in the world existential crisis, Afghanistan, COVID, all this kind of shit. This shit is all make-believe. The only thing that truly matters in this world is the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You only got a certain amount of time. Right. If you're lucky. I just lost a friend last week. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all that matters. And in that precious time, if you're not pushing out positive energy and positive shit to help the world, then what the fuck are you doing? Right. So that's a, there's multiple ways to, to live this kind of lifestyle, positive lifestyle. One of them is trying to ignore those things. I'm not saying it's easy. Sure like, isn't. Oh yeah. my god, no. uh, it, it's yeah. not. It's tremendously difficult, and it depends what it is. Like, what is the hook that's going to catch you? So, and I'll give you an example of this. Like a couple of weeks ago, there's a girl I went to high school with, the most virtuous person you'll ever fucking meet. Just like everything is a fucking virtue, and I don't mind that. Like, I, if you're liberal, that is fine. But just like, once again, talking the talk and walking the walk. This everything. Her, everything has to be like super liberal and you can tell she has a little girl that you can just she like faces that little girl towards the horrors of the world and go look at this look at this you can just tell she's that kind of mother person you know so anyways she puts out into the universe on Facebook saying that um Who's that? Who's that dude on Fox News? Tucker, Tucker uh, Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Yeah. She, she just read. She goes, "I just want everyone to know that Tucker Carlson is a Grateful Dead fan." And it's just like, and at first I didn't know. Who Tucker, I don't follow that shit. So I was in Carson Daly, and I was like, "Of course, Carson Daly, MTV. Of course, he's a fucking Grateful Dead fan." That only makes I, sense. And then I kind of realized that this dude's like a, I assume, white supremacist or whatever the perception of white supremacist is. So then I'm thinking like. Like, why is she writing this shit? Why is she putting this into the universe? <laughs> and I love the motherfucking Grateful Dead. Like, literally, like, I patterned my life after that. It's, it's, it, I think the world would be a better place if people listened to the goddamn Grateful Dead. It truly is. <laughs> I agree. So why is she, if someone who's so virtuous and someone who says she wants to help the world, why? There's no reason to put this negativity in the world. So I get caught. Uh, next thing you know, uh, all these people are mm-hmm, posting this shit. Mm-hmm. Other motherfuckers. Well, you know, everyone who goes to fish shows or Grateful Dead, they're all white. Uh, <laughs> trust fund kids. And Every now, single one of them. Now the hook is in deeper. Because I've been to fucking hundreds of shows. I'm telling you, dude, this black, white, Asian, it's a fucking people oh, in wheelchairs. Yeah. It's a beautiful fucking shit. Absolutely. Uh, so then I start fucking writing. I start oh, fucking no. writing. Now, now yep. I am I am. You're getting f- caught in this motherfucking trap. Yeah. Now my wife comes home, my beautiful wife. She's stressed from her day and she wants to talk to me and tell me about her day. And I'm like, honey, wait, wait, putting my finger up. Honey, wait, wait. 
She's telling me about her day. I'm not listening because I'm focusing on these fucking <laughs> Facebook <laughs> shit. Yeah. That yep. means nothing, yep. nothing, yep. you know? Yep. And now that my energy has been taken away from her. She's upset because I'm not focusing on her and not paying attention to her. And then that uh, snowballs. And yep. then the rest of the night we're fucking fighting and shit all because this fucking woman yep. uh-huh. or since this woman, this person yeah. <laughs> yeah. sent out this fucking thing for no reason other than to cause shit. Yep. And, I, and she did. And she did. <laughs> and I fell for that shit. Yeah. And uh, and those are traps that you have to avoid. Uh, I'm a big believer in that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, comedy is very difficult because it's judging. You're on stage. Um, you're competing against other comics. Right. Um, you know, uh, that's something too that you have to watch. Your, so you have to watch. Uh, how many, I knew it was time for me to step away from comedy when I was worrying about the money. Mm-hmm. When I was watching other comics and not happy for those comics, I was like, oh, motherfucker, why is that dude on the bill before me? Right. Like, why is he getting that? Why is he headlining at Lincoln's and I don't get the fucking call? Right. That was when I knew that I'm not doing this for my spiritual growth. I'm doing this to stroke my ego. And then, thank God, the universe is beautiful and brought the pandemic that came in a, a nice natural end to yep. what I was doing. Yep. Okay. And, uh, How long yeah. ago was that like, that you decided to... Uh, the to, pandemic, man. I tell you, no, like, okay. I had a show. I was on the hottest run I've ever been on in my six years right before the pandemic. And I'm not saying this to be egotistical, but I truly believe I was the hottest comic in Portland with the hottest set. And I had a... It was... All my all my sets, all my comedy has always been about my own personal trauma. I, you guys know who I am. I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't have punch. I have stories. Stories, exactly. Yeah. And I take yep. those stories and I uh, exaggerate them. You know. Yep. So um, I was about to give up comedy because I just like at some point like it's a difficult form of comedy. Like because I'm not telling jokes. So if you're not, if you don't catch me in the first five seconds, right? <laughs> right. You don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Right. You're catching in two minutes late. Now you'll right. see my big body up there moving and telling the story and shit, but you yeah. won't get it. Yep. So, um, maybe I don't know a year before the pandemic, there's a comedian named Chelsea Mack and she was running a show at, uh, I can't remember a bar. It was like hurting and flirting. Yeah. Uh, and I the remember. whole show was about romance and shit like that. And I love that stuff. So you, if you tell me a show and like, Hey, listen, like, I was doing a Franco-American show. I did a big tournament there. Not yeah. to change subjects. Yeah. So like that whole week leading up to that Franco show, I wrote a whole set about Franco-Americans. I've only used it twice <laughs> in front of Franco-Americans. Yeah. So this theme of this show was love. So I wrote a set about meeting my wife and about all these bad sexual experiences before leading up and meeting her. Yeah. And it fucking killed, dude. It fucking yeah. killed. And it wasn't like, it was the best reaction that I want. Once again, I'm not a, a fucking comedian. I... I, I love the, oh, and the laughing and shit. But if I get a, oh, or a fucking tear or something, dude, that is like. It's just as good. It's yeah. To me, that is, and that story about love, and I worked on it. And then my last show before the world went to shit was a sold out show at the Gold Room where it was in front of my wife for the first time she ever saw that set. Oh, nice. Uh, all her friends. And it was a, a perfect fucking set. I still get people coming up going, oh, my God, I was at that Gold Room show, dude. You just fucking murdered that I night. We nice. had 10 minutes of nice. dance box show. I had 10 minutes. I went fucking 20 and no one gave two shits because it was just so, I was the perfect, everything came into line. The six years, the writing. My my presentation, the people who I wanted to be in the audience, yeah. the, the fellow comics that were on the show with me, the venue, it was a perfect crescendo to this six-year experiment of me trying to strengthen my ego. And then the pandemic happened, and that's the universe telling me, perfect end. 
perfect uh, and i yeah. can step away and shit you know uh-huh. i'm happy with that i was a tournament comic i did seven tournaments i won six out of seven yeah <laughs> uh, we I, know i'm very happy I, yeah I, I, we yeah. know man i didn't that's a whole nother thing it's very interesting doing that the comedy stuff like after the first two uh, times i won i made a point not to invite anyone to those shows because yeah. i was because you start getting the i could feel the well the only reason he wins <laughs> those tournaments <laughs> is because he brings people Shabla, so blah, i blah, literally blah, blah, blah. the last four tournaments i did i brought nobody other than like two people who drove me but i was <laughs> on that franco show with you and uh <gasps> the competition and I remember you know the set you did and I was like it's perfect it's perfect for here he like of course you won because it, it was a perfect <laughs> fucking, and yeah. that's and to me yeah. that's what the whole the whole experiment of comedy was yeah. like tell me the room and I love to write I still write today I may never even even I don't know I may never even use those jokes yeah um, but to me you give me like a a theme or shit like that and that gets me very excited mm-hmm. if I'm just doing bar shows and doing my same fucking five set I it gets hard. I, yeah, I just don't like it. Yep. I don't put the same passion into it. Right, exactly. So, yeah, okay. There's something about having that moment where everything kind of comes together and you feel it and then you, and oh, then you perform it man. and then it's like, oh, wow, that was what it was. But oh, then yeah. you go the next, very next night, you can try to do the same thing or something similar to it and it, and there's nothing. It's crickets. And it's, yeah. yeah. It's so frustrating. So. It's, it's a beautiful yeah. art form because it's like yoga or things that I enjoy in my life because there's no arc to it. There's no point where you're going to be like, I'm perfect. <laughs> I win. You know, it's never like that. It's a, it's a you know, sometimes yeah. you'll have the same set and in one place it will fucking kill and you'll feel that you'll, what you know it. In all the years, I can say I, I have five shows that I literally walk off. If you walk off the stage with a fucking heart on going, and you know, <laughs> like you know you had them. You know, like, you get that that uh, wave of laughter, dude. It's, yeah. hard, it's hard to explain to people who don't do uh, it. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's, I guess if you're a musician or something, but that's even harder because you're with a band or something. But and there's something about, it's an, it's, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of an of a addict. I struggle with addiction myself. And that is better than any fucking drug I've ever mm-hmm. taken. It is amazing, but it's so fleeting. Yep. <laughs> and then the next day you're back with your regular life and you yep. think and then you're in bed that night going oh well, God, what a great night you're in the car actually. Oh, yeah. you're dry, you're halfway home and you're like well I could have done this yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. and yeah. then the flip side to this why once again it's a beautiful art and something that if you're going into it to better yourself mm-hmm. the, the beauty of having a great set that those five sets were fucking great but that one bad one dude that one <laughs> I can tell you the story about my worst bomb ever do it um that the bombing is is hard, dude. Especially if you're a comedian, you're an emotional. You, if you're a good comedian, you're an emotional person mm-hmm. because that's how you're. Because your whole point is you're explaining emotions right. and situations. So if you fucking flop, dude, I don't know if you guys experience this shit, but if you flop, you carry that shit, dude. I have sometimes I'll be doing the dishes. Even last week I was doing the dishes, and uh, open mic from five years ago <laughs> in my head, and I just had to stop and push myself away from the sink and just like. Take a breath and go. <laughs> Nobody remembers this except you. Yeah. But in my mind, like yeah. I think that these people are still walking around going, oh, "Remember that big redhead fuck?" Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. <laughs> you know? Remember when that guy ruined comedy for everybody? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually put one of those sets on YouTube one time, and every now and again, I look back at it and have a cry. <laughs> oh, it's brutal, dude. It's brutal, but it's it's a wonderful test for the. If you Absolutely. can withstand yeah. that shit, it yep. makes you wicked stronger. And yeah. But and I have comedian friends. I'm not gonna say any of them who literally go up and bomb. Every time I love them mm-hmm. and I love them as friends, I love the comedians, but they literally, you know who I'm talking about. Like, they lit every single they don't have like that one time with <laughs> and it's still going that <laughs> odd night where they do well. Yeah, this like every night, and yeah. I couldn't do that, dude. My ego would just it would be too difficult, but I feel like my battering average is pretty good, except for this one <laughs> fucking night, dude, that I have nightmares about. So, 
Am I talking too much, man? No, I'm no, totally this is rambling here. No, 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 no go, go. go. Um, this is what we want. So, as far as comedy, this, this is, is what the we worst. want. Right? I've had nights where I fucking <laughs> you sucked, but there's only five people in the crowd. Yeah. The worst is like when you go to open mics and it's all comics. Oh, those and comics that are probably jealous of whatever the shit you're doing. They yeah. don't want to fucking laugh. Those are hard nights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just staring at. They're you. just staring at Angry. you shit like that. Uh, but this particular night, this was the biggest show I ever did. Now, this is my early days of my comedy, and Ian Stewart was running my shows, and I was, I'm fucking hot, dude. Like, I was, I'm, at this point, I'm fucking hot. Like, I know what I'm doing. I can go into a show. I have mad confidence. Like, I know the lingo and shit. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dennis Fogg. I don't know if anyone knows Dennis Fogg, but he took me under his wing when Dennis I first came in. He taught, yeah, me yeah. My, he taught me etiquette. Yeah. He taught me how to speak to people. He taught me how to get my money. He taught me um, how to look for lights on the stage. He taught me how to stay in the pocket. Uh, Dennis Fogg is a, a wonderful man. I I give him all credit for my learning the business aspect of it. So if you're a young comedian, find Dennis Fogg. He'll teach you. Absolutely. Um, And this is a good Dennis Fogg story. So um, (laughs) we got set up. So once again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well in the comedy business at this point, local in the local scene. And it's Ian Stewart who kind of sets up my show. Who's kind of a big comedian in Portland. Um, Colby Bradshaw. And I don't know if anyone's familiar with Colby's work, but of all the comics in the six years who I've ever worked with locally, Mm-hmm. And everyone has delusions of grandeur. Every comic you meet will be like, I'm going to be on SNL next week, or I'm going to be on Tonight Show. I always say Colby Bradshaw was the only person I've ever worked. I'm not saying this to be mean to other people or be disparaging. Colby Bradshaw was the only comedian I ever worked with who I could see taking it to the next super fucking level. We agree. Yeah. You guys agree with that shit? Yes, okay. We, yeah, yeah. Firstly, that's, that's one thing too. When people talk about comedy and they have these young comics and like, oh, I want to be on the road. I want to do this kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Like people don't realize it is a hard fucking life. Yeah. And if you're in this business long enough, you, you meet comics who are on the level above us, traveling comics, yeah. and they spent their life sleeping on people's couches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or do shows that are emptier than we work yep. for very little money. Um, maybe, and getting like a, like a, Tonight Show or even like a TBS, like that's not as important as it used to be. You know, right. it wasn't, it's not the key to fucking financial. It's a hard life. Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm not trying to discourage anybody, but have small goals. Be the hottest por- comic in Lewiston, Auburn. Be the hottest <laughs> comic in Portland, but keep it small and build. Have a good set yes. uh, every night of the week. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But at this point in my life, small I'm, goals. I'm not following mm-hmm. my, the rules that I, Govern my life. My ego has taken over now. Now yeah. I'm a hot comic. I'm killing everywhere I go. I'm killing fucking shows. Northern Maine, Southern Maine. I'm killing it. We're building up to the show at, it's me, Ian, Colby, and Dennis Fogg. Mm-hmm. He hooks us up. Uh, what's that big brewery? Bissell Brothers. Yep. Yeah. Biggest brewery in Portland. Biggest brewery, I assume, in Maine. The hippest. At this point, they build this big, beautiful place at Thompson's Point. Mm-hmm. Big, beautiful tasting room. They are, like, they are hot as they can get in the city. Yeah. And Ian hooks us up and calls me up and said, dude, we're doing a show. The first comedy show they're ever going to do there. They're going to be sold the fuck out. This is fucking huge. I'm like, oh, my fucking God. And it was the first time I ever, we had to go ahead of time. We took professional, like, photo shoots oh, and geez, shit. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So, but once again, I'm arrogant. I'm cocky. I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill this shit. I can't <laughs> fucking wait. I can't wait. I'm like, my dick is fucking two feet long at this point. But it comes to the comedy. Yeah. And uh, so we get there that fucking night, and I got like family coming in for this shit. This is a big show. And I walk in, and it's still daylight. It's not like nighttime there. So Mm -hmm. it's big windows, and people are hanging off the fucking rafters. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is. It's it's so packed, and it's a big, huge tasting room, two floors, and people are literally hanging off the rafters watching this shit. So instantly, like, like this ain't fucking empire. You know, this this is like this is big. 
and um, our big posters on the wall and shit. Yep. So the set list is going to be it's it's uh, this guy um, Paul Hunt hosting. Yep. And then uh, Dennis, then me, then Colby, and then Ian's going to close the show. So we get there, and like I said, this is not like nighttime. They have huge windows. This is like very light in there, yeah. so it's not like conducive to comedy. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. drinking and shit like that. So Ian and I'm nervous. And like I said, when I say people are hanging off the rafters, people are hanging off the fucking rafters. Yeah, yeah. So Ian, this is pre-COVID, by the way. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> yes. So Ian goes to me and says, "Hey, man, uh, we got to shot the show. We're already like five minutes late, and I'm already super fucking anxious. I'm sweating through my fucking clothes. Of course, I'm drinking Bilsa Brother beer yeah. that have like super high alcohol. So I'm like, oh god." <laughs> And I have my set in my mind of what I'm going to do. It's going to kill. But once again, I'm a storyteller. I'm not a. Right. So right before the show, Ian goes and goes, hey, listen, the mic is fucked up and the speakers are fucked up. I need to go all the way back to my house and get new setup for everything. Oh, I'm like, holy fuck. And the crowd's getting rowdy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck. He goes, how about you guys just start the show? Without. Without the like the mic and shit like that. And I'm like, without, and, a, without a mic? Yes. Yes. And of course, <laughs> like, we're all like professionals and we're all, yeah, yeah, we can do that. But I'm thinking, I know I'm thinking, I know Paul's thinking like, this is a bad idea. This yeah. is super, we should just wait. But yeah. we start the show. So Paul gets on there. I don't know if you ever met Paul Hunt. Charming as fuck. Good looking dude. Plays guitar. He just, he's a professional performer. Yeah. Bond. Just like he hosted, even the hosting, like they're fucking, uh, they just, uh, the crowd is rowdy. It's like super, and once again, you don't, if you're not a comedian, you don't understand like doing comedy in light. Yeah. <laughs> Very difficult. In the light and, in with, the light and with a little bit of noise. In the light and a, and a lot of noise, no yep. microphone, yep. hanging off the ceiling, yep. hundreds of people in this fucking place. Yep. Oh my and God. he is dying a slow fucking death just <laughs> hosting. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. Now, like, and I don't get, I am, you guys know me, I am cool. I'm ABCs, baby. Always be cool all the time. But I am fucking nervous. I'm physically nervous. And uh, he dies. Yeah. And Ian, Ian's not back yet. And he, they're not having the mic yet. And then so Dennis got to go up. And this is the, the legend of Dennis Fogg, motherfucker. Talking about like Dennis has been doing this for 20 plus years. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. old school. Back in like the Comedy Connection Portland days. Like yeah. old school Portland. Right. He gets up there. No fucking mic. Hanging off the rafters. And here's like, an, he's not like, not like Dennis is like a good looking, like you look right at him and go, oh, here's a comedian. He looks like a fucking 50 year old fucking, you know, he ran a fucking uh, 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 diner. And right, like, exactly. Yeah, he looks like a cook. Yeah. And for the next 20 minutes, that man controlled the room. It was unbelievable. Just with his voice and his mannerisms and his joke and all these young 20 year old hipster motherfuckers. That's all it was in there. Yeah, yeah. All hipsters. <laughs> super hipsters. Everything he said, they are dying, dude. He is just fucking murdering with no mic, no speakers, <laughs> packed room, just using his voice. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in comedy. Just amazing because he's a fucking professional. Yeah. He can read the room and just do that shit. Yeah. Now, at this point, I'm just kicking on total confidence and cockiness. I, I have not <laughs> been in this situation. I am not paired for this. So, Dennis fucking whole crowd. Rah! Fucking going crazy. Still fucking light in there. <laughs> but Ian's not back yet. I'm just waiting for Ian. Maybe we'll take a little break. Ian will set up the mics. Yep. He's not back. Okay, here comes Billy Jack. <laughs> I get up there. Bitch, my arms are looking like the fucking log flume at Funtown. <laughs> sweating on pits. Shaking like a dog shitting out fucking razor blades. I am just... <laughs> I'm looking, like I knew it. Like I knew it from the second the words come out of my mouth that I could see, and I could see these pretty girls. Like, not to be a dick, but when I go on stage, I like I have certain things. I want you to see me. Mm -hmm. I'm very uh, physical. My body, almost like I'm, I hate to say interpretive dancer, but I'm very. You guys know I am right. very yeah. physical yeah. in that. Right. I want you to find me sexy. I want you to. Mm -hmm. I want you to get in, into my story. I want you to lose yourself in the words. I want you to lose myself in my big fucking frame. <laughs> but this is so big that you can't. I got no mic. I got lights coming in. Yeah. 
like I could tell instantly I'm just losing everybody. And for the next 15 minutes, I die the <laughs> slowest motherfucking death I have ever died, dude. It was just horrible. Horrible. Oh, I can feel it. Oh right my now god, myself. dude. And nothing, uh. like nothing worked. And I could see these women in the front row who like I could tell that they liked me. And they want to be laugh, but they can't even hear me because at this point, everyone's just fucking talking. Maybe uh. side conversations everywhere. And once uh. the first, once someone breaks that first side conversation, yeah. then it's on. Now people yeah. are going to the bar, yeah. and you can't control it. And I am it. just sitting there in a sea of hundreds of people, <laughs> and just talking, and no one's listening to anything, dude. So I get off stage, and of course, you had the people who love you, and like, oh, don't worry, it was the microphone. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, stay away from me. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. I went outside, I smoked a whole pack of cigarettes by myself. <laughs> and of course, like, of course, like, as soon as I'm done my set, here comes Ian with yeah, the microphone. They take a little break. By the time Colby Bradshaw gets on the fucking stage, the lights are all dark. Yeah. He's got a nice spot. Uh, <laughs> he got his mic, and he fucking kills it. Yeah. Kills it. <laughs> then Ian goes up there, and Ian's a super professional kills it so <laughs> when you're the only comic on the bill who sucked dick yeah. it is I got no one to be like must be the fucking crowd hey man <laughs> you know, I got nothing now they're pretty good for the rest of them so. holy shit that was the only time in the history of doing my comedy where yeah. like I was like I want to quit I want to quit but then I told myself like dude Take a little bit of that cockiness that I had going into that right. show. Take the humbleness from this show, yep. and then I build on that shit. And then I went on another beautiful run where I had multiple shows, and I didn't have a flop until I think I went to Buckfield and had a show that was fucking bad. But then I remember it's fucking Buckfield. Nobody really knows where it is. Everyone's high on math and shit. Um, but that was the worst one. That's the one that I wake up sometimes and I'm just like, holy Christ. And that's the ones. But you needed that one. I did need that yeah. one. I did need that one. But that one is also the one that when I get phone calls now going, hey, man, you want to come do a show? That's the one that sits in my head. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'm good. So, I can't repeat that again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one, dude. That's, that's a hard that's one. That's a yeah. tough one. Yeah, wow. yeah. That's a hell of a story. I yeah. feel for you. I do. It's like in my chest. I still got the poster, man. I got the poster framed in my house and shit like that. But it was a one. Once again, my goal in comedy wasn't to become a big star or be famous. My goal in comedy is to better myself as a fucking human being. Yeah, yeah. I think the people who I feel sad in this world are the people who sit home all day. And they don't do anything with mm -hmm. their existence. And they'll sit home and watch YouTube for six fucking hours. And they don't do anything with their fucking powers and talents. Yeah. I, everyone has talent. Everyone Absolutely. has a power. Everyone has something. Yep. Um, so at least with comedy, man, it gets you out of the fucking house. It's a community of people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that's the beauty of it. And I feel like if anyone wants to get into this world, you start with that, man. It's the people who I love. My favorite part of doing comedy is not on stage. It is after the show when it's all the comics smoking butts, shooting the shit, talking about our sets. Like to me, that is what I miss about the scene and doing that kind of stuff. So. I enjoy that too. Like I, I, I there, there have been times when I've had really, really great sets. Yeah. And like you talk about the, like the killer set, I had that probably a couple months ago in New Hampshire. But my the most fun I have is just hanging out after yeah. the shows, like just hanging out with other other comics, getting to know people. Yes, the yeah. camaraderie of it, right. and you, you are certain. Uh, personality type. If you can get on stage, and I tell I tell yep. people all the time. If you if you want to be, I don't understand how people who do comedy can't be successful in their life. Because I say mm -hmm. the hardest, the one, the thing that people fear more than anything else, even more than death, is like public speaking. Yep. So if you can get on stage, any stage, and just like be yourself, tell some jokes, like you can do anything in this world. You, you harness can, lightning, dude. That's, yeah. Yeah. You harness lightning, dude. Yeah. You can do anything in this world. You yeah. can you can take that skill, move it to sales. Yeah. You can take that skill, move it to finding a good partner and lover and yep. shit like that, you know? Yep. So those skills are all very tangible. 
And I'm a big believer in, in the self and the ego. And I think you've got to strengthen that ego. It makes you a better person and shit like that. But once that ego takes control of your ship, like that's when you need to back off and let the self take over. You guys understand about that? Like the self and the oh, yeah, ego? For sure. Yeah. yeah. So like I am We're not I, those girls in the front row at Bissell just no, staring no, at no, you. No, 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 no. I believe in that shit, dude. And the in the comedy or any kind of art is a good way to strengthen that ego. But once again, when that ego takes over you and you're making bad decisions because of how people perceive you or your jealousy or anger, that's when you need to take a step back and and that's where I am right now. So that doesn't mean that down the line I won't do comedy shows or no, go and well, do something. Well, so. we hope you do do comedy. Do do. Yeah. <laughs> do do. He said uh, do do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> shit. Fuck. You know what I wish we it was? That. <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, I love I love the act of like talking on stage. Yeah. And this is fun. I just wish it wasn't always comedy. Like sometimes I'll write shit and I'm like, I wish I can go on stage and tell a scary story. It, it, it would, yeah, it would be nice <laughs> to know? be able to just get up there and not worry about whether or not people are going to think it's funny. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know what uh, line of work we can get into for that, but uh, yeah, I guess we we can do an open mic where like, don't hey, be funny. Don't. Or you <laughs> can just say, say like, you don't have to do comedy right now. If you want to get on get on the stage and the yeah, microphone. But it's not a poetry and... slam or something. Like poetry that. slam. <laughs> well, you know, if it's if it unlocks an emotion, you know, it's like yeah. comedy and laughing is an emotion. So it was like crying. So it's like yeah. being scared. Yeah. And I just liked that. I liked someone's words and thoughts and writings to have a manifestation in someone's emotions. I, I like that. It, I think it's neat that it's a good talent to have. Yeah. And fun. So, um, I don't know. What do you guys like? You guys are back into the world now, right? You're, you guys are full force. You came back in quick. Yeah, we tried. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We try. We've done. We've done some some traveling. Uh, not as far as we did before the pandemic, but um, but we've been getting out there and still doing you know the the bar shows, and we're trying to build partnerships. Yeah. Still, um, I'm just hoping for some nice consistency. You know, for yeah. me, yeah. I mean, the, that's what I. What's want. the difference between this world and pre pandemic or post uh, pre pandemic? As far as audience oh. goes, oh, uh, the audiences are coming back. I mm. think. Um, I, I think. Pro, pro, Pre-pandemic, we had more things sort of lined up and ready to go. Yeah, that's that's the difficulty right now. It's we're still trying to build, uh, like I said, those relationships, those those consistent it's like weekly rooms, like or yeah. even even the monthly rooms are are hard to stay consistent. You know, with yeah. whatever's going on with yeah. with the pandemic and surges and stuff like that. But we also have other passions in life, just like you, and and it's not a full time thing that we're trying to do comedy. We're not trying to make right. a living off of this or anything like that. We just want to be able to get it. We kind of we want to find a partnership with somebody. Uh Mark Turcott has a great partnership yeah. with Mike yeah. uh, Williams down there at CBU. Mm-hmm. And you know, something like that where we can know every week we're gonna have this spot and or every at the very least every month. Um so it's just building that back up. Yep. We had that we had a bunch of stuff lined up pre pandemic that uh, w- w- hopefully would have been at least um, a portion been. of, you know, something like that. But yeah, that, that was one that would have been like, you know, sort of. It was it was there, like we were on the cusp of having that. And, no, that, and then right. it all just kind of. I love the niche you guys built for yourselves here. Like I like it. I like that separated from mm-hmm. the other people who do work in Lewiston. Yep. Um, and, you know, someone who's done work in Portland. Portland's, I hate to say it's cutthroat, but it's just like there's so much drama. Well, there was before the pandemic drama and like yep. dislike between the people who kind of had the th- comedy factions. Yep. I don't want to get into the weeds of that shit. Sure, absolutely yeah. not. But uh, as far as you guys go in Lewiston, like I've always said that you guys are the nicest people to deal with in the comedy <laughs> business, which is very strange when you deal with that. And it's almost like, I think it scares some people because you guys are just very <laughs> nice. And it's so fun to kind of see your growth. I remember when all you guys came into the yep. to, to the business. And, it's, and I like the people who not only do the comedy, but you're giving opportunity for young comics to come up too. Absolutely. And you're not... 
Um, they have a big issue with this in Massachusetts where you have people who run these shows, but they're the gate master and the key master to who gets to perform and what gets to perform. Right. And there's a lot of issue with that where I feel like, at least in Lewis and Auburn, you guys are really open to everybody and give everyone a shot and are nice and welcoming and, uh, yeah. um, and able to work with the art, with the young comedians. Um, the crazy thing is it never ends as far as young comedians. I went to that open oh, yeah. mic and how many young dudes who I'd never even seen before never, just there. had no idea who these people were. No. <laughs> it's kind of weird. No. It's, uh, it, it's it's but, uh, fun. It is fun. I love to see the growth. There's Absolutely. a comedian There's a comedian named Josh Bilodeau. I don't yeah, know if yeah. you guys ever see Josh Bilodeau. Yeah, we know Josh. I give him, uh, if you ever see him on a bill, go see him. I think he's fantastic. He's an amazing comic because I like, I saw when he came in. I remember when I first met him. Skinny. He's a skinny. He's an adult man. But he looks like <laughs> right. a little teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I saw him when he first came into the business, and uh, he's like, "I'm a comedian." And I'm like, "Holy <laughs> Jesus Christ!" <laughs> but he, you know, but he's drinking too much and smoking too much, and he couldn't control that shit. And his and his and I always, you know, I tell you all the time, my biggest thing is if your cadence, your look, and your material all match yep. you're a winner dude you're, yep. you can work anywhere <laughs> yeah and he is like he looks young his whole material is about his mom and his grandma <laughs> and how they treat him and that's and and then he just his voice it's perfect it does but, work well but yeah. he got caught up in the trap before the pandemic of the comedy shit going to the clubs that's a hard thing about if you were an addictive person like myself i yeah. am one of the reasons when i go to these clubs i drink i smoke there's beautiful women there's a lot of temptations that i know if i if I slip into, it will fuck up my base in life, right. which is what keeps me going. You know, my, I love comedy, but it's not my base. My base is my house, my wife, my passion, my work, what I do for a living. Yep. The comedy is wonderful, but it's set in an environment where it's full of like mm -hmm. things that I know can screw me. And if I was 20 years old, I would have been just like Josh. I would have been drinking too much. Yep. You would be carrying me out of fucking bars after I finished my set. Yep. So he goes into the pandemic and I, if you would have said, what comic is going to die during the pandemic? <laughs> oh, I love Josh Bildo. Sorry, Josh. I thought, I, you know, he knows. I've talked to yeah. him about it. I, yeah. I think he would die. He's just drinking. He's drinking as much as a 250-pound man would in yeah. a 115-pound yeah. oh, body. He's right. tiny. He's a tiny <laughs> But man. he took this time, yeah. and he got himself clean. Yeah. And he stopped drinking. Yeah. And and other people who go through this pandemic and are depressed and are not putting effort into their existence, fucking for some reason, mm -hmm. little Josh Bildo yeah. up there in Northern Wayne, where the fuck he lives, decided I'm going to get myself clean. Yeah. I'm going to work on this shit. And now comedy opened back up. I see him at the show. Mm -hmm. It's the best set I've ever seen him do. Yep, he just goes up there for 10 minutes and just fucking bang, banger, 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 banger joke yep. and walks off. And it's funny because you talk to him and he's not the same dude now because he's much more quieter. Yep. He's kind of much more introspective. Um, but his comedy and his fucking art, his art, yep. I don't know how he is doing mentally. I got to, you know, cause it's hard to quit <laughs> yeah, that. If that's yeah, your identity, yeah. you're drinking, it's hard. It, living a sober life in that country is very difficult. It is. It's that struggling you, yep. but his art, his comedy, mm -hmm. whew, it is like five notches above where it was before the pandemic. And that's beautiful to see. Once again, as a comic, as someone like us, we need to be supportive friends mm -hmm. or supportive comics. You need to go to Josh and go, God damn Josh. That's good shit, man. Yeah. That was wonderful stuff. That's great jokes. You look clean. You look good. And then he feels better about himself, and he can carry that shit on. And then down the line, he'll see some young comic, and maybe he'll pass that shit on. So, wow. I know. It's well, beautiful stuff. Well, well Billy, I, I, uh, I'm i going to make a change in my life. <laughs> nah, you don't have to, man. <laughs> no, no. I, you've inspired me. You've inspired me because I try not to be... Um, I don't know, to talk. I, I feel like I'm not in a position where I can do that. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you like. You can do it. Yes. You can be that person, and you, you, you just you just gotta make a little shift in your life. To, yes. To right. be that person and say. So, I know we got only things. five minutes left of the show. Oh. Sure. Um. 
or however we're going to do. And I know one of the segments is uh, things we complain about, what we can't change. Yeah, you, yeah. Want, you want to do that now? Well, hold on. Before we do that, <laughs> okay. usually if I did a podcast and I was doing comedy, I would take this time and like sell my shows that were coming up. Yeah, oh. but you have none. But I have none. <laughs> so can I, sell, can I sell something else right you want, now? You want to sell some um, steak knives or something? No. steak knives, man. I want to sell If you, if you heard, listen, if you heard anything that came out of my mouth today, if this is inspiring to you at all, if you want to make a change in your life, I don't know who listens to your show. Nobody. But I know there's a, I know in my sphere of like young comics, there's a lot of dudes in their 30s who do not know what to do with their existence. Mm-hmm. They're complaining about money. They're complaining about their jobs. They're complaining about not getting laid. They're compla- just, it's a very tough life because everything's in a state of flux. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for white men, but for anybody. It's a very scary world. I will say that my life has been saved because 25 years ago, I got into the social service field where I spend 40, no matter what, I spend 40 hours of my life making my money, being a good fucking person, dealing with children or adults who truly are the victims of things that they cannot control. It's not fucked up systems or whatever you think your drama is. You come to work at a Spurwink, a Port Resources, a Sweetser, any of these places, and you don't need to work here forever. If you are looking for a change, a positive way to contribute to the world, to change the world, to be a part of a civil rights movement, I beg you, come work at one of these agencies, work with children with disabilities, work with children with trauma, adults. Um, it will open up your mind. It will open up your experiences. The money isn't great, but the karma is unbelievable. And I live a beautiful life I am financially taken care of because of the karma of going to work every day in the pursuit of making other people's lives better. And I beg you, if you're working some job at a grocery store or a hardware store or you're not liking your existence come to work in the social service field you can dm me i can show you where to go or where to apply if you want to work with adults or children uh, but spend your life doing something positive in the uplifting of the people around you and the rewards will come to you immensely immensely i live a beautiful life and a beautiful existence because i decided 25 years ago to dedicate my life to this so that's something I just want that's, to say. So you no, can DM me if you that, want if you want yeah. to. If that's something that you think you can do, you don't need to be smart. You just need to be, <laughs> you don't need to you just need to be good, charming, and not take advantage of people. That's a big thing, dude. I, I think you know, you think about Boy Scouts, religion, all these things. These are all wonderful things that have helped thousands and hundreds of people, but it only takes one fucking asshole to right. go in there and hurt people, right. and then everything gets ruined and shit right. like that. Right. So I need people in this world, and I know they're out there, who are kind and loving and not wanting to take advantage. You don't fucking rape them. You don't <laughs> steal their money. You're uh-huh. just there to help and support, and you realize that life will reward you for this. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. If you're interested in that kind of field of work, you come find me and Billy Jack will hook you the fuck up. No, so, that's beautiful. Cheers Billy to that. Yeah, cheers. 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 All right. As far as the. We actually clean glasses. There we go. Clean glasses. As far as the things you can change when you cannot change. uh, (laughs) Can I get controversial? Uh, Sure. And everyone may hate me after I say this because this is something (laughs) that's been on my mind for a while. Well, now everyone's loved you now for 58 minutes. I know. I know. I know. I don't know if anyone's familiar. I shouldn't even. Shit. I shouldn't even. I told myself I shouldn't even bring this the fuck up. But <laughs> but anyway. All right. So for a big chunk of my life, I work with tremendously poor people of Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what I do for a living. I know these people by name. I'm familiar with Pebble Street and all these kind of people who live poor people of Portland. Uh, so there has been a controversy. <laughs> I just got to be careful with this. There's been a controversy in Portland about a bar called Matthew's Pub. 
Anyone? You guys are familiar with yeah. this controversy? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. So Matthew's Bar and Pub, where it used to be an open mic, is the oldest bar in Portland. It is a- Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It's the oldest bar in Portland. My, my great-grandfather used to hang out there. There we go. Yeah. It okay. is the only legitimate dive bar in Portland. So when mm-hmm. people say dive bar now, that's very hipster and shit like that. But the truth is, it's the only bar in Portland where poor people can drink. Mm-hmm. So if I am begging for money and I got my- $3, I can either go to the Cumberland Farms and buy a Natty Light and drink on the street, or I can have the dignity of sitting at a bar and drinking a PBR at the bar. Yep. Probably uh, two. Probably two. <laughs> Poor people uh, cannot go drink at Terra Lingua or DL, DTL. Maybe they can go to Geno's, but Geno's, once again, that's under new ownership. I don't think they're going to want homeless people. Yep. Matthew's Bar mm-hmm. is the only bar in town where if you are poor... And you got to suck dick for money or whatever the fuck you do to get money where you can go and be a human and sit at a bar and drink. And that sounds crazy, yep. but it's true. It's the only place. So recently they had a visit from the Proud Boys mm-hmm. over at Matthew's Bar and it became a big fucking thing. Right. So of course, all these very fucking, uh, these other white comics who, just, I just, who don't do anything in this world to support anybody. <laughs> but of course, they jump on this bandwagon. Fuck Matthews. There's a racist bar. They're all racist. Close them down. Close them down. Once again, these motherfuckers who do nothing to do anything to support anybody, but yet they jump all over this bandwagon. I'm yeah. not promoting the Proud Boys. I don't give a fuck about the Proud Boys. I'm smart enough to know that those Proud Boys that drank there are just probably dumb Turner motherfuckers who are just getting together. <laughs> and once again, it's either going to Denny's or Matthews, and like, and they could spread their hate once again. They ain't planting bombs. They're just, if you're Matthews and they show up to their fucking stuff, if Matthews guy goes, Proud Boys, you can't drink here, those, those Proud Boys are smart enough to go, I'm going to sue the fuck out of you. Yeah. So it's they're fucked either way. Yeah. But this whole kind of like, oh, Portland doesn't need this and Portland doesn't, whatever. This is pushed by, this new kind of uh, anger for this is pushed by these people who don't understand, once again, that it's the only place if you are poor. We're trying to push all the poor out of Portland. Nothing I can do about that. But it's the only place where you can have dignity and drink. Two, the people who want Matthews are all these other business owners in town that go, that is a sweet, sweet oh my spot. God. It's got <laughs> a patio. Oh. It's next to the museum. Really? It's right on the com- commercial. And if you don't think that the powers that be in Portland are like, let's fucking get this shit hot. Let's yeah. get people all worth the fuck yeah. up. So they'll sell Matthews and then it'll be some kind of goddamn uh, – Kumuncha place or something like that, you know, <laughs> you know what's going to be Is that a thing? serving to rich, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever serving to rich motherfuckers, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. out of staters. Yeah. So before you get on your high horse and bitch about that shit, t- take a look, take a step back. Mm-hmm. It's not about the fucking proud boys, motherfucker. It's about the homeless people and the poor people of Portland having a little bit of dignity where they can go and have a fucking drink. There ain't nothing I can do about it. So if I go on, right. if I write an editorial in the paper saying save Matthew's bar. They would fucking <laughs> racist. Uh, you know? You'd be hung by your toenails. But once again, <laughs> if you want, and I'll end this thing with this. If you want to be a better person in society, you need to stop thinking small and think broad. A small-minded person will look at that and go, oh, you got to close this bar down. This is evil people that they're serving. A smart person, a wise person looks at the bigger picture and goes, okay, who are we serving in, right. in our community here? And this bar serves, the only bar, <laughs> the only bar in Portland yeah. that serves poor people, yeah. Matthew's Bar. Yep. And I hope God bless them. I hope they stay open. I hope they can survive this shit because there are some, there's some scrupulous motherfuckers who were taking this as advantage to close them up and to turn that into, you know, and there's rich some, people's place. there's some other people out there who need a drink. So yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, 
Wow. Well, thank you, Billy Jack. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, I hope that made sense, dude. I'm hoping no. I'm going to listen to the playback and go, oh my God, DJ is a fucking douche. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're a very insightful person. And, uh, thank and, you, man. And you have a, a, a lot of integrity and a lot of good uh, opinions. I appreciate it, man. So. Appreciate yeah, man. Really yeah. love it, man. Love yeah, it. Thank you, dude. Yep. God bless little comedy, dude. It's been wonderful for me. It's yeah. been wonderful meeting you guys. And I truly believe that the universe brought us here today to, to talk about these kind of things and, and, and share sure. this friendship. So All cheers right. to that shit. Cheers to that. All right, Cheers, thank man. you so much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who listened. Yeah. Thank you, Billy yeah. Jack. Yay. That was Billy Jack Goodwin, main comedian, currently on sabbatical, gracing us with his infectious joy. Uh, six years of Billy Jack Goodwin comedy was just not enough. Yeah, it's true. I uh, I feel like he's only only beat us in four or five contests, so... It'd be nice to, to get a couple more of those under our belts. <laughs> yeah, he's very, very funny. Great to be around him. Thanks again to everyone who listened. Tell your friends and follow Comedy Think Tank wherever you can. Be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Instagram at Comedy Think Tanked, Twitter at Comedy Tanked, and our website, ComedyThinkTank.com. And feel free to email us at comedythinktanked at gmail.com with any suggestions for guests or questions you guys want to know about comedy or or maybe, um, well, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> feel free to email. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Toodles. Toodles. Music was written and produced by a minor, Ralph Bergfeld. No comedians were hurt in the production of this podcast. All audio snippets of actual funny punchlines were not written or performed by any of us or our subsidiaries. Rather, they are express written bits of professionals we admire. Let the civil actions be filed. Any opinion heard, actual or implied, is that of the comedy think tank producers and their guests. Any slight, insult, affront, slur, disparaging remark, snub, rebuff, rejection, or spurning, no matter how derogatory, pejorative, or abusive you may feel it is, was not intended, but for comedic, entertaining purposes only. Thanks for listening. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, whoa.